From the studios of 2SER in Sydney, Australia to the world, this is a Gay Waves podcast, proudly produced on Gadigal Land. Good evening. You're on Gay Waves on 2SER. I'm Phil. And tonight we're talking to a musician from the UK, Ben McGarvey, otherwise known as Minute Taker, who has done an amazing lot of work in the LGBT space and in the 80s pop space. Ben, is that an introduction that sort of encapsulates you? Yes, that sounds good. Yeah, thank you for the intro. (laughs) So how do people find you, basically? Because you're not being played by Radio 1 or anything, are you? No, no. Um, Well, I probably... It's probably fair to say that I find people because I, uh, I I do a lot of uh, Facebook and Instagram adverts, and um, I know that my my listeners tend to like a lot of the artists I like and who I'm inspired by, like Kate Bush and Pet Shop Boys and David Bowie and Erasure and ABBA. So I kind of um, so I use sort of that as my target um, criteria for my Facebook and Instagram ads, and, and basically put my music in front of people who I think might be interested in it. Interesting you bring up Kate Bush because we know now that Running Up That Hill became an enormous hit again recently through Stranger Things, but you had already recorded a version of that track, hadn't you? Yes. Yeah, I recorded it a few years ago, um, originally just for a... For a kind of Patreon kind of um, service I run called Secret Songs for my fans, uh, but I did decide to release that one more widely, so I put it on you know Spotify and iTunes and all that kind of stuff. And um, and yeah, but it became my most played song. And there's a there's a remix of it as well by Matt Pop, which is which is doing really well as well. So I th- certainly Kate's um, certainly the Stranger Things revival of the song helped my version to get more plays as well so that's a good thing do you have people saying to you though why did you just jump on that bandwagon not really because i think people can just see the dates that i did it so they can oh. see that it's you know, it's five or six years old now so yeah fair enough so you have been in the music business or at least interested in music and working with music for a very long time. What started that love of music? Well, I've, I started playing the piano when I was about 12 or 13. We, we had a kind of old battered piano in our family basement. So I just kind of found myself starting to um, go down there and play about with it. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I started coming up with little melodies and things. But it all went from there, really. And I started... Um, getting into producing music when I went to college. I did popular music at college and I was, I was writing and producing my own stuff and then I went to uni and did contemporary music and uh, yeah, basically just been writing and recording songs really for as, for as long as I can remember and uh, started, started releasing them kind of properly in my mid-twenties. Okay. And, uh, never really looked back. Contemporary music at uni what do people actually do there? 
<laughs> well, actually, my, my degree wasn't quite what I expected because I thought it was going to be more kind of, you know, I suppose experimental popular music, but it was actually like far out experimental kind of avant-garde kind of stuff, you know, like, uh, Massien and John Cage and all that kind of stuff. So it took my, it took me a while to, to get my head around it all. A, a lot of it was kind of, um, kind of writing sound, I suppose, creating sound collages to kind of portray concepts and things like that, and then writing big essays to go with them. So, so it wasn't 100% what I was originally expecting, but I got, um, I got very interested in it. And I think it did, um, it did help me to kind of, uh, I suppose to approach it all a bit differently and to be a bit more experimental and to include some of those kind of techniques and ideas in my, in my own stuff, which is more kind of pop music orientated. Mm. And so as soon as you finished uni, you headed to Manchester. Yeah. Obviously, Manchester has a huge music history. Is that part of the appeal? Yeah, it was that. And it was also the, um, the gay world here. <laughs> there's a there's a whole uh, kind of little, well, I say street, but it's actually about probably three or four streets of gay bars and stuff. So at the time, I was just... Because uh, I grew up in the countryside, and my nearest gay bar was like about fourteen miles away, and just on a Monday night. So, <laughs> right. So I was a bit like a kid in a sweet shop, and just and for the first few years, I was just you know going out constantly, and I was I was like staying up till three, four in the morning, and then you know had my had an office job, a temp job, and I used to roll in you know after a few hours sleep, and and it was it was all that for a few years. <laughs> yeah. I was also doing gigs as well at the weekends and doing a lot of, um, doing, doing a lot of pubs and, and bars and stuff, kind of playing my stuff. So yeah, it was a very tiring time. <laughs> I bet it was, but rewarding, I'm sure. Yeah, it was a bit of a roller coaster actually, I think looking back because it was, it was really exciting and kind of euphoric at times, but it was also, I was getting very depressed at times. Well, I think cause I was drinking a lot, you know, because obviously that kind of comes with all that side of things and, I was just—I was either having a great time, or I was, te- or I was really terribly hungover. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. So it was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess you brought up that that there was that that Manchester scene. How important was having that gay community around you? Important to your songwriting back then when you were starting out. I don't know. It's funny, really, because when I look back in those years, like. Because I wasn't doing music for my um, living, and and kind of my partying was very felt very separate from it as well. So for years, I kind of did feel like my music was my little kind of secret life. You know, I didn't really share it with anyone apart from doing the odd gig and then playing. I had some musicians who played with me and stuff, but kind of in my day to day life, which would be my work and my kind of going out and you know going to bars and things, I felt like you know, I felt like I was kind of two different people really, just like. I was kind of, yeah, just, I just always had my, my music as my, as my kind of secret little hobby. And I was always quite, I suppose, a bit shy about sharing it with people. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's only really in the last, I think since I've been doing music as my main job, you know, for the last kind of, I think it's been about six or seven years. Mm. It's only really since then that I really feel like I've kind of integrated those two sides of my life and I'm not going to live in this secret artist's life now. <laughs> The secret songs, one might say. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Your first album, you did use your name. Yeah. 
and then you quickly went away from using your own name. What was behind that? Uh, yeah, I kind of, um, there's a couple of reasons. Firstly, I was getting frustrated with people pronouncing it wrong and calling me um, Mugabe, Ben Mugabe or Ben McCarthy. It just, it just, I just became very sick of spelling it for people. Um, so well, kind of sounding it out for people. And also, I felt like maybe it wasn't that catchy because I, I always remember artists' names more easily if they're names of things rather than people. I've always been bad at remembering people's names. So if I hear like a song I like on the radio or something and they say, Oh, that was by, you know, and they say a person's name, I'll just forget it. But if they were, if they were to say, you know, just a couple of words, then I'd be mm. much more likely to remember it so that that was another reason and um and also i think there was just some something about using my own name my own kind of day-to-day name which might go back to what i was saying before about mm. this kind of the whole the secret that, yeah that i didn't like i didn't like using it like i just wanted i wanted something that yeah just wasn't my actual day-to-day name okay makes sense music isn't all you do You are very multi-talented and you bring the visual side into a lot of your work. Why is it so important to to have the visual elements with your storytelling? Um, I suppose because it just allows you to, it's like a whole other medium, a whole other dimension to kind of convey the ideas in the songs, you know, kind of a, it's, it's the storytelling, I suppose, you know. I think it can be really powerful if you... Because often, often when I write in songs, you see I do have ideas for the visuals. Um, one song, for instance, I wrote called The Darkest Summer, and as I was writing it, like, I could just picture, like, these two characters on the beach in the 80s and kind of um, hanging out together and dancing and, and then kind of um, all these strange things starting to happen, so... So, yeah, and then every time I listened to the song, you know, as I was still kind of um, writing it and coming up with the arrangement, every time I was playing it through, I was just seeing all of these visuals in in kind of my mind's eye. So the director, Joe Stringer, really helped me to um, bring those ideas to life. And and he brought some, he expanded upon it as well, you know, and brought brought some new ideas to the table. So, yeah, I suppose it's the, uh, it's really just, being able to convey the vision, my vision for the for the piece in general, I suppose. Other times, to be honest, I don't have any ideas for videos, you know, and then it's a song that, and then the director I'm working with will maybe have an idea and then we'll kind of um, bounce ideas back and forth. So it depends, really. Sometimes, um, sometimes I can uh, think of an idea much later that had nothing to do with when I was writing the song and then it suddenly makes sense that, that it's, uh, those two ideas are related. So, yeah. And on top of that, you've also written a musical. Yeah. Whose idea was? It's hoax, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So, um, so the the playwright Ravi Thornton is a friend of mine, and um, and she approached me. This was probably going back to going back ten years or so now. She approached me to. Uh, See if I'd be interested in writing the music, and the idea was that it would be like a a kind of dark musical, you know, not a kind of run of the mill um, kind of jazz hands musical, something mm-hmm. kind of um, 
darker and um you could, it was based on the life of her brother who um had schizophrenia and uh, sadly took his own life um so yeah it was uh, it was an amazing experience we we originally developed it uh, we had an arts council grant um, which we, we can get over here to support with um to support with arts projects um but kind of especially ones that kind of increase awareness about certain you know topics like mental health with this one for instance so we uh, we originally did um a run of it at this local theater called the royal exchange in manchester and it, it was directed by um a guy called benji reed who's a really a talented director who often kind of uses um physical theater mm. elements um and then we later got another grant to take it on tour and we did like a tour around the UK. And um, yeah, I went, I, I was basically playing the music live during all of the shows, like in the shadows in the background. And then the actors were, were singing the, the main parts. So it, was, it was a really amazing uh, experience. It's something you'd want to repeat in the future? Yeah, it'd be cool to do something like that again. Yeah, very different to what I do day to day, you know. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Left to my own devices just to write and produce stuff and kind of run the whole, I guess I'm kind of my own record label, so I kind of spend a lot of my time doing all the admin side of it as well. So it was, uh, it was a very different experience to, to usual. An independent artist does have a lot of creative freedom but I suppose it also, you've got that pressure on yourself to have to come up with the ideas and to to put together something that you're really happy with. How hard is it to keep on coming up with new, fresh sounds, new ideas, etc.? Um, it's funny because, like, most of the time I'm not being creative. Like, I, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of get it in... It's, and it's the way it's always been, actually. I, I kind of get it in waves. Like, so I'll have like a, a burst of creativity, say for like a week and a half, two weeks, and I'll like write and produce, say, three or four songs. And then I won't really do anything for months. Um, and I kind of concentrate on all the other stuff. So yeah, it just kind of happens like that. It's, it, it's kind of quite organic that way. So I just kind of try my best to clear my schedule when, when it does happen so I can just focus on the songs. Kind of, it's kind of like letting them come out in a way, you know, and then <laughs> and just kind of like organising them as best as I can or, you know, and then getting them down and then and then kind of moving on when the inspiration just disappears again. Um, so, yeah, I never, I don't know, it's not something I kind of consciously think about too much. I kind of feel like if I consciously think about it too much, I might kind of scare it away. So, <laughs> so I never really sit there thinking, oh, you know, I need to, you know, write a new song that, you know, does this or, you know, you need to come up with you know, a fresh sound. I just kind of go with whatever kind of feels right, probably influenced by, you know, whatever I'm listening to at the time. Yep. Okay. So I was going to say that your latest album is Wolf Hours, but really yeah. that's only part of the story, isn't it? You've been very busy between the start of Wolf Hours and where you're up to now. Yeah, yeah. I've, um, well, there's been a couple of Secret Songs subscription albums since um, my Wolf Hours album. I've, I've also um, recorded a new album, um, which I'm just mixing at the moment. Um, yeah, so that I'm hopefully going to put that out early next year. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, so, and I've got a reissue of my album Last Things coming out, which was an album I did 10 years ago. So this is kind of like a 10-year anniversary edition that's going to be on vinyl for the first time. Okay. I've got some, got some kind of vinyl um, patterns and colours, which I'm excited about. So they should be arriving, arriving in a few weeks. Um, nice. Yeah, so it's and the latest volume of my Secret Songs subscription was an audiovisual show because um, my Wolfhouse album, which is my, kind of my 80s synth-pop album, um, it was originally a, a show that I, I toured a little bit around the UK and it's, um, I worked with a series of directors and the idea was that all of the, um, all of the songs and videos were exploring the psyche of, um, different gay men at different points in time. Um, so, so one of them set like in the eighties and one of them set, um, like in, um, World War One and, and, uh, yeah, the, and I kind of I um, put together a show where I performed all the songs live with the, with the videos being um, presented on screen. So I decided to make that into a DVD and a streamable version online, which I've done for my subscribers. I was actually quite. I did a I did a little survey to my group asking if they like a DVD, and I was quite surprised how many people would because I wasn't sure how many people still wanted DVDs, but but apparently people still watch them. <laughs> I must say I don't have a CD player or a DVD player myself, but thank God for YouTube, I suppose, and yes, yeah. and, and streaming. Though streaming being a bit of a contentious thing, it, it's sort of taken away from musicians being able to really get, well, not get rich, but... It's taken away any sort of profit margins, hasn't it? The whole streaming. Um, I wouldn't say that. You know, I have mixed feelings. I think like a lot of artists, I do have mixed feelings towards Spotify and those sites. Because I think in one sense, yeah, the royalty rate is really low. Like it's something like a third or a fourth of a penny per stream, mm. which sounds terrible. But actually, when you kind of weigh it up, there are there are lots of positives as well because it does... It does allow you to get your music out there. Anyone can put their music on Spotify on those sites, and then you've got, you know, anyone could find it. You know, and Spotify does, um, the more people you get listening, they do start to kind of put it into people's radio. You know, like when you listen to a song, and then and then afterwards it just starts playing random songs by other artists and things like that. So then your song can find it their way into into those, which means new listeners can discover you. So I think you do get um, people discovering you on there. and And also I think, even though, like, I use Spotify all the time. Like, I, whenever I'm out walking, I walk my dogs for hours every day and I listen to Spotify. It's just so easy. But, but also, you know, if I, if I really love a, an album, I will still buy it. I'll still buy the vinyl. Mm. And I actually still buy CDs as well. I've bought before recently. And, um, and I think that that's the case for quite a lot of people. Like, I, I still, um, like make quite a, make a lot from selling my CDs and records. And, and actually, a surprising amount of people still buy the downloads as well. Um, so I don't know if those are people who stream as well or whether they kind of, whether they download instead of streaming or whether maybe they think if they really like something, they want to download it um, as well. But I also do have some material, including my first album, actually, that's not on those sites. I think it, it you know, it can be, it can kind of uh, be quite beneficial for artists maybe to not put everything on those sites. And so there is still things that kind of just encourages people maybe just to go and seek out those mm. extra albums and yeah. things that they can't necessarily stream. You loved what I gave you, now go and find the rest. 
Yeah, so I think it's uh, and also you know those those royalties, although very um, low, they do add up, you know, and um, you know I I am starting to get actually a decent kind of little siding from from, okay. from from those sites, and and because it is a passive income, I'm, I kind of hope to kind of build it more and more because it is nice just to have money coming in when you're not actively having to kind of generate it, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's nice and not having to like. Uh, package up records and CDs and take them to the post office and things, just actually have um, just just money kind of rolling in for, for, for something that you made, you know, 10 years ago that, that people yeah. have been listening to all around the world. It's, it's kind of amazing in that sense, really. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I've got three songs on Spotify, but I don't think I've made any money yet. So you're definitely ahead of me. <laughs> you are about to do another live show. It's been four years. Um, yes. I guess there's been the obvious two years of COVID that stopped. How has that affected your drive to perform live again? And I guess the availability of venues to play in now that we're sort of past it. Um, yeah, I don't really know about the venues, to, to be honest. I haven't got a clue, but certainly um, it did affect my drive. I think. I think you can find yourself losing confidence, you know, when you've not done it for a while. And also, I think, like, everything's been going well, like, with, with all the stuff I've been doing online. And I think I just got to the point where I was, like, I was I was thinking about all the stress I used to feel when I was, like, touring and, you know, all of the, all of the uh, kind of waking up in the night thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, what if, what if the um, sound engineer doesn't turn up? Or what if I can't park near the venue? Or, you know, all of these little things, you know, that's kind of, it becomes such a stress that unfortunately, because like, I love performing, but all of the things, all of, all of the things around it can be really stressful and, um, and kind of take away from the enjoyment of it really. So I think I just kind of thought, well, I haven't been doing it for, you know, a year or two now. So maybe I'll just leave it for a while longer because I'm enjoying not, not having those kind of stresses in my life. Okay. Um, but I did really get to the point, I think within the last year or so where I'm really, just really miss it, just really miss performing to people. Kind of sharing, you know, that live experience, and and I thought, you know, I'm going to have to do something. I don't want it to just go on and on and be like, you know, five, ten years go by, and I think it'll get harder and harder to go back to it. Mm. And um, I mean, look at Kate Bush. I mean, she did a tour in what was it, 1979, and then basically didn't play live again until 2014. So I think, and I think she did like some things she said in interviews and stuff. I think she did always intend to, you know, do another tour like in a year or two. And it just probably the longer it got, the the more it just kind of got harder to go back to it. So, so I thought, um, yeah, let's not leave it 30 odd years. Mm. No, <laughs> no, maybe not. So when is it and where is it? Not that I can make it, but <laughs> yeah, perhaps a little far for you, but, um, Although, funnily, I've had, I've had a, pe- a few people message me online saying I'm coming from the States and Australia and Italy, and, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, no pressure. No pressure. Uh, not, <laughs> so none like, at all. This is, yeah, this has to be really good. Um, yeah, so it's at a, it's at a art centre in Manchester called Waterside Art Centre, and it's um, in this lovely theatre space. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to have that space, and they've got a nice piano, and I've got... Um, couple of days in the space to you know work with the lighting engineer and stuff and put some visuals together and uh yeah perhaps i'll have another musician or two on stage with me helping me with the songs 
yeah, I'm really excited about it. I've got I've got like uh, this notes app on my phone, and I, I whenever I'm walking, my dogs have a lot of these ideas for things I want to do. Some of them are probably a bit too grandiose, so I won't be able to pull them off. But I've got this like great big long list of like ideas that I'm, I'm going to kind of try and fuse together into this show. <laughs> awesome. Now speaking of lists, Minute Taker in a list of five of the best songs. Where are you going to direct them? Well, if they actually do this offer where people can get five free songs where they join my mailing list. Um, so if you head to minutetakermusic.com and just pop in your email address and I'll, I'll basically send five songs over the course of five days and I'll tell you um, in each email just about the song, what inspired it and the lyrics and things like that. And um, we've got the music videos there as well. And then I'm also on yeah, Spotify and all those sites. Um, uh-huh. You know, just search for Minute Taker, and I should hopefully come up. Fair enough. Well, it it worked for me. That's oh, a good thing. <laughs> yes. Did you see my uh, my advert? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I followed way. that for a bit. So LGBT wise, what would be the video to go to? Um, I think probably Lead You Home, which is the opening track on my Wolf Hours album. That's that video is set between 1981 and 1918 and it's mm-hmm. um it's basically a, a a world war one soldier lying on his deathbed in the 80s and kind of going back into his into his imagination into his memories of a of a romantic encounter he had during world war one so yeah that one and the darkest summer which is the um the 80s beach one that i mentioned earlier yeah, you can uh, you can find both of those on youtube or if you sign up for my free songs at um minutetakermusic.com then I'll send you the videos in the emails fantastic and finally you have remixed some other artists of note how did that come about and what was your favorite um well I've only actually done two so I did um winter kills for yazoo and I did home for erasure and they were both part of um bmg reissues of their, um, those artists' albums. So the um, so they were set up by a friend of mine called Steve, who um, who works closely with Alison Moyer, and um, and he uh, happened to hear about you know that, that they were working on these reissues and, and asked asked um, asked BMG if they'd be interested in me working on the remixes. So stroke of luck, really. It was a uh, it was an amazing experience, especially to get all of the, old, the original like studio stems, yeah, yeah. you know, from the original sessions and hear all of like the vocals in isolation and things like that. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That'd be a dream for me as well. Yeah. Um, and did you get word back from either Alison or Vince and Andy afterwards? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, they approved. Um, they approved the remixes and. Uh, yeah, had some nice feedback off Alison actually. So yeah, that was lovely. Awesome. Sounds good. So you said there's an album coming. What else is in the pipeline for you? Um, so yeah, I think apart from the show, yeah, there's the, the new album. I want to do some, I think a couple of, you know, music videos for the new album. So I'm going to have to start thinking about that soon. And, uh, and kind of coming up with the artwork. I've got some ideas for the artwork, but I've not really, um, looked into that too much yet. So yeah, probably going to do a 
crowdfunding campaign um, for, the, for the new album, when everything's ready, when people can pre-order bundles and things like that. Um, I think that's what I did with Wolf Hours, and it, it worked out really well. And um, yeah, I think that's a really good way for artists now to to recoup, you know, because it's, it's quite expensive, you know, by the time mm. you get to that point, you know, and you've paid for, like, especially the vinyls, the vinyls can be very expensive. And uh, then you've got all the CDs and tapes, actually, and merch, and, and then all the mixing and mastering costs and things like that. So it was a really good way of actually recouping the money um, before the release, and, mm. uh, which is amazing, actually, because when you, you know, when you think, of, like, if you were assigned to a record label, and they'd be advancing you all that money, you know, and you basically have to pay it all back out of your side of the out of your share of the royalties so so it's amazing that you know as an independent artist we can actually uh basically have recouped all of the money of the release mm. before it's actually released you know so, so I that's think, good you know, failing yeah crowdfunding is uh i think it's the way forward um so so yeah i'm gonna have to start planning all that soon i haven't really um thought much further ahead than that because that's uh that's probably going to take me to, to uh seven or eight months in the future <laughs> All right. Well, there's your 12-month plan. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you see yourself in one year? <laughs> yes, with a little bit more money, uh, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but of course, it's that. not about that when you're no, truly no. a musician. Yeah, but it's nice to uh, it's nice to be able to keep the lights on. <laughs> yeah. I, I also say that I'd really love to eat. Yeah, yeah. I like to feed my pets as well. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm sure they appreciate it. Yeah, but if I if I didn't, they'd probably just eat me eventually, anyway. <laughs> eventually, <laughs> and it would serve you right, I suppose. Yeah. Well, it's been fantastic speaking to you. Best of luck with the show. I'm sure it's going to be absolutely amazing. And tell us once again where we can find you. And get those downloads. Yeah, minutetakermusic.com. And uh, yeah, you can uh, find me in all the usual places on Facebook and Instagram and Spotify as well. Not TikTok. I'm actually not on TikTok yet. I need to, no. I need to um, get on that. <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah, maybe so I was thinking, is this just going to like, you know, be a trend that's kind of like dead in the water, but it seems to be going on and on. So it does, really... doesn't it? Yeah, well. <laughs> Can't talk for taste sometimes. <laughs> but uh, thanks very much for having me on. My pleasure. All right, everybody, you know what to do. Get on to Minute Taker. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks very much, Phil. Hi, Mark Haddon here, producer of Gay Waves. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate the episode and subscribe to the channel. You can also get in touch with us. Our email address is gaywaves at 2ser.com. Find us on all social media channels. Just search Gay Waves. Thanks for listening.